Uh, the music's playing. The envelopes are here. We're all dressed up in our nice tuxes. You know what that means. It's another round of Blinky Awards here in the Pop Culture Historians podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts for this, uh, this evening's Blinkies, Ryan Ritter. And I have my other host over here, Jimmy McShane. Uh, Jimmy, how are you doing this magical, magical evening? I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm feeling good. Again, whenever we get to these end of the year end of the year, end of the season wrap-ups. And uh, for new listeners, uh, I'll explain exactly what we're doing here in a second. Uh, I get a little wistful. Um, you know, looking back, I feel like it went by so fast. Yeah. <laughs> Just yesterday, we were talking about Batman 1966. And um, now here we are. Uh, just to kind of orient new listeners, what we kind of do, again, the nature of the show, we do kind of go back and forth, alternating you know, pods, you know, pods of episodes. Uh, we go back and forth between like a Doctor Who watch, rewatch, and uh, history of superhero movies. And we kind of mark the transition from one set of episodes to another. That's kind of a uh, episode season recap. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more defined with Doctor Who because we really are just going seasons. And then we get to the end of the season and then we kind of go like best serial, worst serial, best actor, worst actor. This is a, the superhero ones are a little bit more interesting. They're going to get more interesting as we get, as we go, because we're comparing movies that are very, really very different from each other. They are. And, uh, I don't, it's kind of hard to rank. I found putting these winners together a little bit more difficult than in, uh, episodes past. I don't know how you felt. Agreed. Agreed. It was, um, you know, it was, like you said, because they're so different, sometimes hard to compare. Yeah, how does one compare, you know, again, the aforementioned Batman 1966 with something like Swamp Thing or even Batman 1989? Uh, it's not quite a one to one comparison like it is when you're comparing eight Doctor Who serials from 1965. Um, they're all pretty much all part of a, a same thought. But it's the task we've assigned ourselves, and by God, it's a task we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> accomplish here tonight. On the is this the fourth Blinky Awards? Yeah, this fourth. They didn't get called the Blinkies until the second one. So no, yeah, Blinky. Uh, reference to Blinky McQuaid, a uh, character we ran across in our uh, review of the superhero serials. Uh, I believe that was the uh, that was the Shadow, wasn't it? No, not the Shadow. No. The Spider. That's the Spider. Hopefully, you know, I do hope the Spider does, you know. Make it make a comeback to the to the big screen. I hope we see Blinky again on the big screen. It'd be nice, or at least like a nice like Amazon like limited series or something, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking because that way you can really get a lot of a uh, breathing room. Uh, if anyone wants to know what what the hell we're talking about, yeah, go back and listen to the uh, the Spider episode. It should be on the uh, uh, the feed of the uh, podcaster that you're listening to, and then come back and then you can laugh along at all of our. <laughs> Your Blinky McQuaid material. You can also go to our website, and it's uh, you know organized in the superhero serials season. So, Jimmy, you're the man. I never mentioned the website, and <laughs> I thank you for doing some of the housekeeping around here. All right, uh, let us tarry no further. Uh, let's get started. And you know what we like to do here is kind of what we like to do with the Oscars. We like to start off with a big swing. You know, they usually open the night with like best supporting actor just to make sure people are watching right from the jump. Uh, 
I think we should take a similar swing here. Uh, not too, you know. Uh, not the biggest guns, but a big gun. Yeah, we'll leave best, you know, best picture, MVP, oh, worst picture. We'll leave all those for the end of the episode. Uh, I'm kind of feeling, do we want to do like best, best actress, best actor? We can say best actor. Okay. Do you want to start off with best and worst moment? Oh, yeah, that's, okay. Wow. That's kind of starting out with a good bang. That's solid. Let's do best and worst moment. Okay. Which, do you want to start positive or negative? Uh, let's start positive. I think we should, uh, <laughs> we should start off on a, a more optimistic uh, bent because we'll have plenty of time for uh, <laughs> less, less than positive. I guess we should, should we set the stage for real quick, a quick review of the movies that are being considered in this pile here. That's uh, a good. That's a good idea. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's talk about them. So, I'll, just, I'll just rattle off some names, and I won't, uh, you know, won't, won't give any indication as to whether we the uh, like them or not. I mean, I think if you've been listening along, that should be obvious. But you know, uh, Batman nineteen sixty six, of course, the uh, movie adaptation of the TV show, nineteen seventy eight Superman, nineteen eighties uh, Flash Gordon. I almost said Flash Gordon. Uh, 1981's 1980's Hero at Large 1981's Condor Man 1981's Superman 2 1982's Swamp Thing 1983's Superman 3 1984's Supergirl 1987's Superman 4 The Quest for Peace and finally 1989's Batman so it's again, so weird. It's weird hearing those years. Like we got a superhero movie like once every two years for most of it. Now we get like a superhero movie once every two weeks. It feels <laughs> like no, absolutely. With uh, streaming integration, uh, it's when there's not a movie, there's like a new show coming. You know? Yeah. Uh, as of this writing, can't wait for that Penguin show. Um, may, may already be up by the time this episode's out, but uh. Anyway, more Colin Farrell Penguin, I think, uh, is a good idea. <laughs> um, still haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> How about a second? No. Uh, but, yeah, best moment. Uh, do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, okay, I can go first. Go for it. Um, you know, it was, it was difficult to, to sift through all the movies and find, especially the ones I liked, and find, you know, the, the one moment I liked the best. So I kind of just let instinct go with me. And, and the one that had the biggest impact or that's still stuck in my mind and this was in superman the movie 1978 uh when you know the the climax when you know lex luther had you know detonate a bomb on san andreas fault causing massive earthquakes and and you know pandemonium and lois lane gets stuck in her car as it sinks into a crack in the earth and she suffocates and dies and Superman finds her and is, you know, you know, the love of his life, dead in a car, and he couldn't save her. And he has has this moment of huge, intense pain. And he flies up to the to the clouds and he has this kind of internal thing where he has his father from Krypton and his father from Earth, and he's kind of metaphorically battling his demons in the air there. And and I thought that was a great scene. Of course, I, I disliked the conclusion. But right before that, it was incredible. And I, for me, that was the best moment of all the movies we've watched in the season. We came very close to having the same moment. Uh, mine is also from Superman. 
Interesting. I had to actively, you know, it's funny because we talked, we broke the movie down a little bit. Uh, there are some flaws that were evident. And I think the age in which it came out maybe started to show a little bit now in modern eyes. Uh, I had a hard time. Like I had to kind of pull back and rethink a couple because uh, Superman's going to pop up a lot tonight, I think. Um, Superman good franchise, ways and bad, probably. Yeah, the Superman franchise as a whole is overrepresented here. I mean, it's like it's like five out of the 11 uh, qualified movies. But yeah, that, that initial Superman, um, influential for a whole bunch of reasons. I had to kind of actively work to make sure it wasn't being overrepresented too much in uh, my award selections. But we're going to start right back up with that, uh, that movie itself. Uh, I went with the, uh, the first Superman and Lois Fine scene. Maybe a... Uh, Maybe an obvious uh, selection. It's a classic. Um, I, I do know that there's like that spoken word from Margot Kidder that ages ages the scene a little bit. It's it's not a creative decision. I think they would do now. But I think again, the whole movie's kind of magic is sort of leading up to the moment of seeing Superman fly, which we see him do in key moments. But you know, even the tagline of the movie is you know this summer you won't believe. A man can fly. And I always kind of look back on that moment as sort of the moment that that tagline is referring to. Obviously, we see him kind of fly near the beginning of the movie, and there are other moments that are probably in between that moment and this one. But this is kind of the one where the, the, you know, the, the human surrogate character is getting to fly along with him and kind of see that magic and that kind of revel in the romance of it. And, you know, romance is not a word that we really associate with the Superman movie anymore as they're kind of taking more of a darker turn. But I think this is a nice reminder that the character is romantic in many, many meanings of that word. So yeah, this is the moment I kind of look back on when I think of like what, what moments kind of show why this initial Superman outing film is still influential to this day. I mean, Kevin Feige has stated it is his favorite movie. To this day, uh, favorite superhero movie. And uh, this is the moment I always look back on when I think about what was the power of that movie. Best moment. Yeah, fair, fair point. And of course, without you know that movie, we're not having this podcast, right? Most likely. I don't think so. Or, or it'd be very different at the very least. We'd be talking about a lot more Doctor Who, I think. <laughs> uh, not well, a bad thing either, though. Yeah, that's right. No, that, that wouldn't be so bad. Well... I'm afraid now we have to do the. Uh, oh, this is always more fun, isn't it? Worst moment. <laughs> yes. All right, you get to go first for the worst moment. Well, I'm jumping right to the next entry in the uh, Superman Fried Test. And again, there's a lot of options to be taken from these movies because they all have, even the best ones kind of have something goofy about them. But uh, mine is actually from Superman 2. And mm. it's, that, it's the ending. There's a couple moments I could have picked. I could have picked. Um, Superman beating the snot out of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with that uh, that ending scene. It kind of resets the movie in kind of a awkward way that didn't sit well it, with me. It's the memory wiping kiss. That uh, mm, yes, okay, that, okay. Clark, that Clark gives Lois. I thought you, I thought you were going to go with like when they blew the wind towards the people and there was that weird slapstick com- comedic like <laughs> scene when the movie just just oh, stopped. Oh yeah, the going. ice cream. I could have done that. Yeah, um, but no, uh, yeah. You're doing, you know, you're doing the memory wipe kiss, okay. Yeah, I'm going with the memory wipe kiss. Again, it's 
there's something about you know, these first two Superman movies kind of hinge on kind of this extreme act of power that you wonder why Superman doesn't use it more often. And also a little, little controversial, you've alluded to kind of how the Superman climax resolves a little bit. Uh, I'm, I won't explain because I, I suspect it's probably going to pop up somewhere here tonight. Uh, and Superman 2 kind of has a similar kind of thing. He uses this power that you haven't really seen him use before. I mean, I guess you can't just go around kissing people. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. It is kind of it, it kind of is a cheat. It kind of resets. And it, it, it's always a really too convenient way to kind of resolve a lot of the uh, conflicts that were up <laughs> to that point kind of really prominent in Clark and Lois's relationship. And it... it it just always rubbed me the wrong way. And I almost put this, the same scene that they did in Superman 4, which kind of implies he's been doing it all this time. Which yeah, is almost it never like, like he did a couple, like that was, that seemed like a regular thing he was doing, which is. Which makes Superman like a total asshole. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awful. Um, but Superman 4 at that point, like it, it, it's low on the list of problems. Um, Superman <laughs> two, there's still a good. Well, enough, that just, was one. Of the, that was one of the better scenes in Superman four. <laughs> sure, <laughs> at least it's like, oh yeah, I remember this. It kind of connects mm. to other things. Mm. Superman two is still ostensibly like this. This this is the height of the franchise's powers, mm. and to end like that, it rubbed me the wrong way. It felt like a it felt like a, a cheat and an easy out. And um, I feel like that always kind of shortchanges the heroes, the superheroes' journeys by giving them easy outs. So. Worst moment for me. That's fair. That's a good worst moment. It's probably better than mine because your worst moment is probably not technically as bad of a scene as the one I'm going to say, but I would say your worst moment kind of derailed an otherwise good franchise. You, I mean, you could you could look back at that. Of course, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes problems, but you could look back at that and say, well, Superman as a franchise never really recovered from that creative choice. Yeah, that and coupled with, you know, the other scene you mentioned, the more slapsticky stuff, because, you know, Superman 3 would... Right triple down on that and then you know without the clark and lois story it there was yeah there was no chance in exactly exactly um you know they, they lost their heart a little bit um they had trouble getting it back exactly um, exactly but i went with a, a different scene um i'm excited from, from condor man <laughs> uh all right so i went with condor man right and the climax of condor man gets my worst moment here because if you call you know of course michael crawford is is playing a comic book artist but he's also somehow a really good cia agent they never really like at first it's supposed to be like he's actually bad and lucky but by the end he's like a legit like cia agent right yeah it's one of the worst parts about a movie that's pretty bad um <laughs> they never the setup of the movie almost like implies something different than what you get. Like he's no. almost like he's supposed to be like a hapless cartoon, you know, you know, cartoonist. But no, he's legitimately like good at being a spy. So like it's like not fun. <laughs> anyway, right, right. Anyway, so yeah, he he divides his whole escape plan for his love interest, the Russian defector, played by Barbara Carrera. And the linchpin of this is we'll both dressing up. <laughs> and brown face as an Arab. But also, the linchpin of this is he, his escape is to go into his condor man suit and fly her out. And when you want to talk about a movie just not sticking the landing, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible scene written. It's a terrible scene acted. It's a terrible scene directed. 
it's a terrible scene choreographed. It's a terrible, like it looks terrible. You can see the strings. The guy's going super slow. You don't buy it for a second. It doesn't feel paid off. I mean, it's just a terrible scene all around. I don't know. That's pretty strong. I don't, I, you know, I, I memory wiped a lot of the Condor Man, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, because I'm getting to the point where I need to, I need to kind of start strategizing what memories I'm holding on to. If I, I want to remember my wedding. Condor man's got to have to go. But you're right. Uh, it's a terrible scene. And sticking the land, not sticking the landing is like the perfect way to put it because, it, it, again, it's kind of like, the, it's like the, it, it's this movie's version of Superman flying. You want to see him in the suit. And the suit looks like crap. Right. And, <laughs> hey, yeah, the movie's called Condor Man. He wears it twice. And it's terrible uh, both times. The first time, you're, it's okay being terrible. But the second time, it should be really cool. And it's not. Yeah, Condor Man... Man, I know there are worse movies coming, but I don't even was... think Connor Man was the worst movie we watched. But that scene in particular was just awful. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a strong winner. <laughs> uh, b- both equally deserved. That was best and worst moment. Uh, let's move on to. Uh, is there something calling out to you? Um. Let's do best and worst villain. Perfect. Yeah, let's do best villain. Um, again, mine maybe an easy layup, but um, it has to be Joker, right? Uh, okay. That's what I picked too. Okay, uh, cool. yeah, I I, I picked Joker. Wait till they get low to me. Yeah, I remember going through a Superman franchise uh, gene hackman i love him as a performer and i actually can't even like his performance in uh, superman but it's a little incongruous to what uh you kind of imagine lex luther to be and it, it maybe left a couple things on the table he's kind of the only other option really i think zod, zod's an option i think zod, I mean, yeah i wish i wish superman 2 had been better than i remember it being because I, I almost I, zod was someone i considered as well but yeah, I, I mean, I think around him. right. It, it's true. And then you, you could potentially make a case for the villains and, you know, for Ming, the merciless. Sure. And sure. Um, the villain from Swamp Thing. But I don't think any of them are, are close to the level of you know, what you mentioned. Yeah, I think Jack Nicholson kind of hit this kind of sweet spot of like, you want to get an actor who's going to ham it up, but also kind of be within the bounds of what the character is. Uh you know, big actors hamming it up is going to go awry later on down the line. A couple moments in other movies we're, we're going to talk about in the future. But again, I, I mentioned watching the special features on the DVDs that I had of Batman. And, you know, all these years later, I mean, this all these years later, it was probably like 2005, 2006. That's still 15 features. years. Mm-hmm. And his excitement for it is still palpable. Like he's he's practically like jumping out of his seat talking about how much fun he had kind of being like scary for kids and like being cool and like kind of, you know, just, you know, kind of just being Joker ish. And like when he's amongst like his friends at like award shows and stuff, uh, you know, I, he seemed to really get into it. And honestly, it's not like it's, this isn't Shakespeare we're talking about. It's not like you need to sit down and do like a whole detailed character study. He's got to put the makeup on and have fun and, be scary when you need to be and be funny when you need to be. And uh, look, Jack, Jack did it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He was like great. As well. He's, he's, I think you're right. He's really the only real option here. 
Um, he stole the show a little bit, you know, maybe not as much as the movie has a reputation for, I would argue, but he still stole the show. Uh, he's still the most memorable character. His ver- like, I mean, obviously, like when you think of like performances of these characters in the movies we watch, he's still probably the most memorable one other than maybe Christopher Reeve Superman. Um, I mean, he's, he's the best villain of the batch by far. Yeah. And again, yeah, uh, honorable mentions to, I mean, the Merciless. And, uh, yeah, Swamp Thing had, to, had, had a decent villain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? Jack, when Jack's nominated, it, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of it. Right. Well, that was easy. I, uh, I suspect we're going to have the same worst villain, but maybe not. We'll see. Um, we'll see. Uh, this one may fall victim to me trying to make sure... Uh, a movie that wasn't going to get represented otherwise uh, gets represented. But um, okay, yeah, I'm curious to see what you have for worst. Well, villain. worst villain for me was Nuclear Man from Superman Four: Quest for Peace. You know, in all real, uh, to be real, like that is that it probably is the answer. I went with Faye Dunaway in Supergirl, but you know that's fair. She was awful. Yeah, to, uh, hit us with uh, some Nuclear Man talk. Why? Why was he so awful? Um, well, first of all, like he, so he's a super powerful villain, but all you have to do is like close the door and he's defeated. <laughs> Which happens right. right. Like literally that's what Lex Luthor does to him. That's what Superman does to him. Like, <laughs> literally just like, like, and he's too stupid not to like go inside. You know what I mean, he like knows his weakness and he's still like willingly, like you didn't have to be tricked into like a dark space. He just went into one. Yeah, he like walks into like an elevator, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, He has no personality. I mean, there's no characterization there at all. Um, other than he's basically like a caveman. He's like grunts a bunch. <laughs> um, he's he's just a, <laughs> he just he's not interesting. He's not even menacing, and like I feel like he should be because he actually does take Superman down, right? Like Superman has to like go to a last ditch like power cell in order to survive. Yeah, he almost takes out Superman by himself. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in a long... You know, the metaphor of him being like nuclear power is a little muddled, but like he scratches Superman and he almost like dies of like radiation poisoning. Right, yeah. And, and yet with all that, he's still not menacing somehow. And I don't know how the movie... I don't know how that happens. But, well, I, but it did. So, yeah. Just, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and frankly, like... You know, I was kind of feeling the movie to begin at first, right? The Superman Quest for Peace. Like, I kind of liked the beginning, but like, as soon as Nuclear Man was introduced, the movie completely went to shit. Well, the funny part too is uh, in the original, you know, original cut of the movie, there's supposed to be two nuclear men. There's supposed to be like a one nuclear man before the one we see that like totally fails, and I guess Lex just does the same plan again, and then we yeah. get this guy. He has and cool fingernails, though. They, they grow. Cool I'll, I'll give. I'll give him that. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. That, that. I mean, that is the answer. Uh, to be real. Um, the only reason I kind of went with Faye Dunaway again, Supergirl is not going to pop up too much uh, on these. Um, it's a pretty middling, middle of the road movie that again started off kind of interesting and quickly kind of devolves into like something that's like it, it bordering between committing to being campy or committing to like having Supergirl act like an actual teenage girl and it kind of you lose what could be fun about yeah. both of those things. So Supergirl may be popping up more than you think, Ryan. 
Oh, <laughs> I bet. Well, I, I, I bite my tongue then, good sir. <laughs> but Faye Dunaway is kind of the inverse of uh, Jack Nicholson a little bit. You think, okay, hey, Faye Dunaway, uh, you know, she can be, she can be campy. Uh, as anyone who's seen, uh, you know, Mommy Dearest could attest. Uh, she, you know, she, she's not afraid to like, throw down. But I don't know. She just kind of, she, she chewed scenery in the wrong way, and you know, less strong character than Joker. I mean. Joker is one of the defining villains in the yeah. you know, second half of the It's almost century. an unfair comparison, right? Yeah, I mean, Joker is probably the iconic superhero villain. Probably. But still, the villain sucks even, like, without that comparison. Yeah, she just, she just kind of falls flat, and you kind of keep waiting for her to kick in to another gear and kind of save this thing. And instead, it's kind of her sidekick, Brenda Vaccaro, who kind of not doesn't go over the top, but she at least is in the spirit of, like, you know, she throws up these little bond... Bond Moe's here and there. And she's fun. Fade anyway, not fun. Uh, is she worse than Nuclear Man? Uh, that may be debatable, but that's, that's my vote. Well, here, here, here I might, I might to, to, um, to argue for you a little bit. I'm still, I still oh, stand by But to argue yeah. for you a little bit, you, know, you can make a point, argue like Nuclear Man is the secondary villain, right? Lex Luthor is the main villain. Lex and uh, you can even argue Lex's nephew. Played by John Cryer, who almost yeah. made, who almost got this from me too. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, um, he got consideration for another category as well. But, ooh, um, ooh. Uh, but Man's a secondary villain, so it's still problematic that he sucks so much. But like, Faye Dunaway is arguably in Supergirl more than Supergirl. I mean, she yes. she definitely gets the most lines. She is the main part of that movie, so her not, not working, good. right? Her not working is actually a bigger problem than Nuclear Man not working. You can make an argument. Uh, truly, um, it would be it would be like if Jack Nicholson fell flat on his face in Batman. Like he's he's right. the big get here, um, and she's the big get on this one. Uh, I think there's a reason this movie gets forgotten about a lot, and uh, you know. I don't know how many more female-driven superhero movies we're going to get between now and when we hit, like, you know, MCU and, the, you know, Wonder Woman and next, stuff. Is the next one Wonder Woman? Is there not another female-led superhero movie? Mm-hmm. I don't want to commit to that, but I, I kind of think no. Um, you know, this. there's some things that you might be able to argue are sort of superhero-ish, like you know, stuff like Pink Girl or whatever, but, you know. And, well, I guess I, X-Men, I, X-Men yeah. has a lot of female superheroes, so there's, there's that one. Yeah, but, the prominent, yeah, but the that's still on roles to come, but lead? Yeah. That's really debatable. Yeah. And I'd hate, you know, I'd hate, <laughs> you know, the double standard is always really strong, because, like, you know, super, Superman 3 and 4 fell flat, and then go, we gotta, we gotta stop doing these male-driven superhero movies. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, right. Supergirl is what it is, and uh, right. yeah. Anyway, that's best and worst villain. All right. Do you want, do you want to do superpower slash gadget next? I think that's perfect, and um, I'd love to hear your option for uh, best super uh, superpower slash gadget. So mine is the Batmobile. That's such a good choice. That's I love fantastic. the Batmobile. I mean, you know, it's it's so iconic. It's still a really unique take on the Batmobile. Um, and I just, I just love it. It fits the, the vibe. Well, I'm sure it sold a lot of toys. It was, it was perfect for what the new movie needed. And to me, it's still the best live action Batmobile we've gotten. I love it. 
that's that's my choice for best gadget slash superpower. Solid, and you know, it's a uh, uncommon, at least on this side of the podcast, it's it's an uncommon winner that could win again. Uh, mm. I believe this uh, Batmobile um, reappears pretty much untouched in, um, I, in the I believe night. you're correct. I believe you're correct. Yeah. So yeah, could be a back-to-back winner. Uh, equally iconic, but in a totally different direction. Uh, I went with the shark propellant in Batman 1966. Because <laughs> it is kind of the go-to when people kind of think about goofy, campy Adam West Batman. It feels like there's only a couple things that come to mind immediately. It's, it's the little dance, the Batuzi dance, uh, mm-hmm. him running around with a bomb. And I think shark repellent is probably a third. And yeah, you know, running around with a bomb isn't really like a super how or not really a gadget, but uh, shark repellent sure is. So... You know, look, whenever you're, whenever you have a shark biting on your leg, use some shark repellent. I, it's a one to, it's a one to one. I think it's the most efficient superpower gadget ever made. Fair enough. That was easy. Oh, uh, I guess we got to do worse now. Uh, what was the worst use of superpower slash gadget? Believe it or not, I'm going back to Superman two. Uh, there, there may be worse things, um, in terms of like nonsensical superpowers. It's Superman peeling the S off his chest and uh, (laughs) tossing it at one of Zod's cronies and encasing him in like this gelatinous goo. Don't know where that came from. It's never mentioned. He never does it again. Kind of feels like he should do it all the time. (laughs) Um, But alas, much like, you know, reversing time, it's a a one-time only thing. Uh, Yeah, I always come back to that one. I've never understood it. Yeah, I don't get it either. (laughs) What's your worst? Well, I, I know you were expecting the um, the fly around the Earth to reverse time, but that is not what I went with here. Uh, oh my god! Oh my goodness! Yeah. This is an upset. <laughs> For me, it was the kiss to forget. Uh, Superman stealing Lois Lane's memories with a kiss one more that. than one occasion. Uh, that's a gross abuse of power, especially for someone who's supposed to be uh, looked up to and as a hero. Um, it, you know, you use as your worst moment. I think that's that's fair. Um, because it did alter the franchise in a very negative way, in a way it arguably never recovered from. But for me, just uh, I think it's the worst display of superpowers in in this um, you know in the season that we watched. It's like reprehensible, right? Yeah, like, it's awful. I, don't, I don't think we're overstating it too much, are we? Like, I think it's it's like it's I don't weird. Think so. I think it's I think it's awful. Um. <laughs> And then, and they also don't really do much with it, right? I mean, if you, not that it'd be one thing, I still would hate it, but at least like maybe if the third movie it was like a big plot point, or even the fourth movie it was a big plot point, but it never really is. It's just something he just apparently just keeps doing to Lois all the time. It's yeah. awful. If they yeah. used it, I, I'm sitting here, you know, Mr. <laughs> Mr. You know, local podcaster uh, pontificating <laughs> on things that were done you know, 40 years ago. But, it, if they at least used it as like a, a plot point for something, like him continuously wiping his wiping her memory, you know, kind of representing his inability to get like close to her, something to like overcome, and like inability to be honest with her. They actually like just like dealt with it honestly. I mean, it it'd be a strange direction, but at least it'd be intellectually consistent with you know what they dealt with. <laughs> I mean, what they set up. Right, but no, it's just it's just a thing he does, and it's not dealt with any further than that. And it's bad look, bad look, Superman. 
Yeah. Were there any runner like runner ups for you or close considerations for this yeah. category? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of goofy stuff. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of one. One I always enjoyed that came to mind. It didn't be obviously didn't be the Batmobile for me. One I did like was in Superman three, when Superman like there's a fire going on at the chemical factory. Yes. He's got to put it out, or else the world's gonna explode or something. Yep. And so he goes and freezes the lake and carries it over and rains it down on the on the fire. I, I like that. Yeah, it was solid. Yeah, he kind of freezes like the first top layer of the uh, of the the lake. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, it's, it, it, it couldn't top, you know, some of the other stuff that came up. Batmobile is strong, and I actually hadn't thought of it, but um, which is silly. I think I picked it. That's like my favorite <laughs> gadget from Batman '89. Yeah, you know, there's some some cool like laser eye effects he uses. He shoots at Zod. Superman does, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the, that stuff was cool. Uh, I briefly considered putting um, Swamp Thing's healing powers on because I thought it looked cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, worst moment. Uh, I uh, worst use of superpowers. I'm surprised wasn't the uh, reverse, reverse engineered time I mean, trick. I do, I do still hate that, but it's still an iconic moment, and you know, it's still, it's, it's, and to me, it's not nearly as bad as as kissing to take away Lois memories. Uh, agreed. And there's no, there's no visual special effect to go along with him wiping her memory. That's true. Okay, well, we've done, we've done villain superpowers moment. Uh, you know, why don't we jump to best line? It's a one-off. I'll, there's no worst line associated, I don't think. No. Okay. That might be too hard to keep track of. I agree. Uh, there's a lot of directions you can go with this. There's a lot of sincere, iconic lines. There's some funnier lines. Uh, I'm curious to know what direction you went with this. Well, um, I went from Batman 1966. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I just, you know, it, it, I, I thought about going with a sincere one, and there were some good lines, especially in the first Superman movie, I think. Uh, but the one that stuck out to me the most, I don't know why I think this is so funny, but I do. At the beginning of the movie, after the shark attack, they're trying to figure out what supervillain could have been behind this. And they look up at the, you know, report of escaped supervillains, and they're trying to figure out who it was. And so uh, your Robin says, but it, it could be any, any of them, which one pretty fishy. What happened to me on that ladder where there's a fish, there's a penguin, but wait, <laughs> it happened at sea, sea, sea for Catwoman. Yet that exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. <laughs> it all adds up to a sinister riddle, Riddler, Riddler. <laughs> and I don't know. I just, I've always, I've always loved that. Uh, terrible line of logic <laughs> they use to figure it out and be 100% correct. So uh, that goes to my best quote. Could be any one of them, but which one? Which ones? <sighs> Pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. You mean by there's a fish there could be a penguin? But wait, it happened at sea. See? See for Catwoman. Yet. That exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddle-er. <laughs> you have no idea how close I came to picking that exact passage. <laughs> uh, I ultimately nixed it because I thought it was just a little too long. I didn't feel like writing it all down. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I had I, look. I had to stay in Batman 1966. Like, yeah, one can go. You know, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Or you know, the lines from Marlon Brando's speech in Superman. But uh, I had to stay in uh, Batman 1966, and I went with the classic. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> kind of the punchline. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. To uh, you know. In comparison to Superman 3's opening, which is kind of a uh, not as good <laughs> slapstick opening, you want to you know you want to see a comic you know ballet sequence. You watch Batman 1966 with him trying to get rid of that bomb. He's running up and down a, uh, a kind of a, a seashore, a seaside street, and every time he runs around, he keeps running into like this like this brass band and this woman with a baby carriage and right, yeah, he's the like- band again. He's trying to throw the bomb into the ocean. Like I said, he keeps running into all these people, like a flat, a bunch of nuns. And yeah, and he throws it. In, he tries to throw it in the ocean. There's like a, there's like a mama duck and her little ducklings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> it's genuinely yeah, funny. Sure. And again, since I have my bully pulpit here, uh, Batman 1966 is genuinely funny. It's not funny by accident. It is a, a well written comedy movie. I stand by that. <laughs> I, I stand by that as well. Awesome. You heard it from the pop culture historians. <laughs> Go watch it. You're not too cool to watch it. Uh, all right. We certainly aren't. <laughs> we have never been accused of being too cool for anything. <laughs> uh, we have acting awards. We have directing awards. And then we have like the big ones. Best picture, worst, worst picture in a, a MVP. Uh, so yeah, I'd say we do director, actor, Best picture, worst picture, MVP. Uh, did you did you get actress in there? Well, actor and actor at oh, actress. Got it. Yeah. Time, I was like, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, here at pop culture historians, we believe in ladies first. So why don't we go with best actress? All right. Uh, yeah. Why don't you go? I went with Margot Kidder for this one. I'll just tell you right now. I did the same thing. Yeah. Why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes. I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. <laughs> You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. There's a couple other options, like Adrian Barbeau from uh, Swamp Thing, or even uh, Barbara Serrera from Condo Man was, was decent in what she was given. Yeah, she's all right. Um, but yeah, for, for this one, really, um, Margaret Kidder is the, the far away the best one. I didn't like her performance as much in the first Superman movie as much as most people did. You did, but every Superman movie she was in afterwards, I thought she knocked it out of the park. Uh, she, you know, she was really a great Lois Lane, and I, uh, yeah. So for me, she's she's the obvious choice. Yeah, I, I think my award uh, goes to her for her work in the series as a whole. And you know, when I first watched the uh, original Superman movie. You know, many years ago, I always thought she was kind of the weak link. She always kind of set the movie kind of in the era in which it was made. She felt very 70s to me, whereas Christopher Reeve feels a little bit more timeless. The setting feels a little bit more timeless. But I'll tell you what made me appreciate her, and it was Superman 3 taking her away <laughs> for pretty much the entire yeah. movie and realizing, you know, what I had after it was gone. And so by the time Superman 4 comes around, which is a mess of a movie, but it's almost like this, uh, this veteran presence, like Margot Kidder is back. This feels like a real Superman movie again. Yeah, no, she um, she made that movie more tolerable than it would have been otherwise, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've warmed up to her quite a bit, and I think it's the obvious answer here for Best Actress. Worst Worst Actress. actress. Hmm. So, again, we're kind of running into the same problem we had when we did this for the serials, in that the worst ones are never actively bad. They're just unmemorable. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a feeling this may be where Supergirl comes back in for you. Yes, it is. Yes, oh, it boy. Is. Faye Dunaway gets my worst actress. You know what? That's fair. That is totally fair. <laughs> she's just awful with it. Yeah, and I think she's a good actress. I, I'm not, I mean, nothing... She's a legend, you know, absolutely. Faye Dunaway in general. But in that movie, she wasn't good. And of course, she wasn't given much to work with, but she still didn't elevate it in any way. And that movie rests on her shoulders to a decent degree. And she was, she did not, she did not lift it. No, like, as you say, uh, you know, she's top build over Helen Slater, who plays Supergirl. Kind of the same deal as Batman. Michael Keaton's second, and Jack Nicholson's first. Or even in Superman the movie, I think. Um, I think you're right. Gene Hackman and uh, Marlon Brando get billed for Christopher Reeves. That's fair, but you know what? Marlon Brando delivered, and Gene Hackman's in his own way delivered, and Faye Dunaway's kind of the only one who... Didn't I mean yes? Everyone else involved had better material, but and that makes a difference. But still, yeah. But she's no, she's bad. And if I, you know, looking back, I probably could have put her in here again, but that would be unfair. Um, I went with Ann Archer and Hero at Large, kind of more in the unmemorable camp more than anything else. That's fair. Um, that's fair. I couldn't even tell you her character name. Not that that's always. <laughs> Not that's not always a great signifier for no for quality, but that that it, movie rest hinges on the chemistry between her and John Ritter, and it wasn't there. They don't have it. Yeah, so yeah. Again, Harold Large kind of a hard movie to talk about because it it kind of goes in one ear at the other. It's a failed, you know, John Ritter leap to the silver screen vehicle. And Anna Archer, unfortunately, you know, she's done good good work in other things, but. It, this is not it. It's just again one ear in one ear, out the other. Yeah. Sorry, Ann. <laughs> Best actor. Um, you go. You go first on this. Ah, uh, absolutely. So for best actor again, there's actually a uh, actually quite a few uh, options you can go here. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the Michael Keaton is iconic. And underrated, I'd argue, especially in modern times, as they kind of leveled out what Bruce Wayne kind of is. Uh, Christopher Reeve, may, there may be no more sincere performance in the superhero movie canon than Christopher Reeve. And for a long time, he was the guy I was picking here as the obvious candidate. And then I remembered Brian Blessed in Flash Gordon. <laughs> and I know it's a curveball, but I can't I couldn't get Flash Gordon in anywhere else. So you know what? I'm diving right in. Brian Blessed, best actor. Wow, nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, He's just joyous. You know, I, joyous. I honestly hadn't even considered him, but that's a really good choice. Yeah, again, again, the real answer is probably Christopher Reeve, because without his performance, there's probably no any of this but like the real joy of brian blessed in 
Flash Gordon again. He plays a character that I kind of I kind of took a shine to when we were watching the Flash Gordon serials way back when first episode mm-hmm. of this kind of string of string of superhero episodes, and uh, the the Prince Prince Arian. I don't I don't have the name in front of me, unfortunately. Um, I love him so much I can't even remember his name. <laughs> but um, you know, it was this big bearded prince who thought everything was very funny, and he was big and boisterous uh and gosh darn it brian blessed kind of recreates that character to a t and even elevates it even further uh yeah um, look, prince look, Volton. Look, prince Volton. By prince Volton, of course and uh yeah uh, again kind of a curveball i wanted to make sure flash gordon got a little bit of love uh it's maybe the most outside of the superhero genres we're likely to yeah, at least in this batch of episodes. But uh, look, I have to. I had to find a little room to give some love to him in this. Uh, in this, uh, no, it's, it's a good choice. It's a good choice. Mine's a little bit of a curve. Curveball is not the right word, but mine's a little bit of an odd choice as well. And some of it is because, like, you know, I didn't go with Jack Nicholson here because I already went with him with the best villain, right? Right. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, you know, this this is also a little bit of a you know some some people got disqualified not disqualified, but they got chosen elsewhere. I didn't want a, a bunch of repeats. Um, but, you know, I was considering some people, I, I almost went with Marlon Brando here because he's just effortless, right? You wouldn't know that he didn't prepare for this role at all. And he just has the presence. He has the voice. He's just, without even trying, he was amazing. He but knocks I it out of the park. He knocks it out of the park. But I didn't go with him. I, I wanted to go with an actor who maybe like, wasn't given the best stuff, but still found a way to be great and memorable. And so I went with Terrence Stamp as Zod in Superman yeah, 2. That's a great choice. That's a great choice. Nero before Yeah, and so, you know, like, because he just, he just, he steals the screen when he's on it, right? And he's not even given that many lines, but he just has this, the presence, the screen presence. He, he has the, the attitude, the look. You buy him as an intimidating villain without him actually doing anything. And, uh, and he just, he sells it uh, that, you know, for all the problems Superman 2 has, it still works in part, I think because it works because of Margaret Kidd and Christopher Reeve, but also it works in part because of Terrence Stamp really, really, nailing the role of zod yeah i know i remember you mentioning in the man too and maybe one of the best scenes in that movie was him and his two you know to gosh maybe two or three cronies uh kind of laying waste not laying waste that was my death and destruction but basically like terrorizing this like small town that they land in and kind of showing off their powers and it's really effective it's a scene that could have been kind of corny you know if they just did what was on the on, on, on the page to and just literally translate it to the screen. But Terrence Stapp kind of elevates it into something really pretty creepy, as you say. That's a great choice. I didn't even consider him. Right, I'll be excited to see you put worst actor. Who did I put for worst actor? Let's see. I was thinking that I was reflecting back on best actress. Someone that we should, you know, I don't think she, she wasn't good enough to beat Marco Kidder, but someone I think we should mention. Uh, Helen Slater was kind of um, given a raw deal in Supergirl. I think she did it about as well as she could, um, even though I think Supergirl as a character was underwritten and they didn't seem to have any idea what they wanted to do with her. And um, she's not better than Margot Kidder in Superman, but that, it occurred to me that uh, yeah, they hadn't mentioned her yet. 
That's true. Yeah, I mean, she she was earnest. She wasn't bad. Yeah, um, I, w- I, I, I wish for a better movie for her. Yeah, for sure. All right, worst actor, uh, Michael Crawford and Condor Man. I thought he was just again. Condor Man was probably never going to work, but you know, Michael Crawford again, best well known as uh, the Phantom of the Opera. That's like his big claim to fame. So this isn't exactly a movie that like weaponized his talents, but I don't know. Just he was just kind of came off as a little, little smug, a little cocky. Kind of just wanted to slap him the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just I think unfortunately I think he made a bad movie worse for me because um, you know I also thought Fair. about like I thought about like John Ritter and Hero at Large. He's also not very good, but there's this is this is a Nate charm. That even in his worst stuff, you can't help but kind of like John Ritter. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I didn't think he was terrible in Harold Large. It's just, yeah, you're right. It was just, you know, the bad form was kind of negated by his charm. You're right. Yeah, but I just, I did not like, uh, I, I do not have to like Michael Crawford when he's being really awful. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my answer. Who do you have? Well, that's a good choice because you took an actor who who took a bad movie and made it worse. I picked an actor who, in my opinion, took what could have been a really good movie and made it worse. I picked okay. Sam Jones from Flash Gordon. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of chaos I, and a lot of behind-the-scenes drama with Sam Jones. A lot of behind-the-scenes drama with him. And just frankly, I thought it was really bad. Um, and, it was, and it's too bad because I think Flash Gordon, you know, there's a lot of good things about Flash Gordon. You know, mm-hmm. it's got a got that uh, iconic queen soundtrack it's got great costume and set design it's got some great supporting cast we mentioned brian brian blessed but timothy dalton max von sidno um a bunch of other people it's got great atmosphere i think it's really well directed but man the two leads also talk about someone i consider for worst actress was um let me look up her name was Melanie Anderson as Dale Arden but I eventually want to say Faye Dunaway but for me yeah. Sam Sam Jones and Melody Anderson, but Sam Jones really brought this movie down. I, I did not like his his uh, performance as Flash Gordon. It was bland. It was boring. Um, you know, for for the role title, title character, he had no charm. He had he had no swagger. He just for me just didn't work. And then finding out it could have been Kurt Russell made me dislike him even more. Kurt Russell would have been Gordon. so. If, if Kurt Russell was Flash Gordon, this movie, the, the Flash Gordon movie, would be iconic still here today. It would be more than just a cult classic. You know, I, I honestly believe that. But you put the wrong leading man in in a weird movie, but otherwise good movie, and it really brings the whole thing down. I think. Yeah, it's a movie that has a lot going for it. Yeah, I think if there's a Kurt Russell Flash Gordon movie, 1980, there'd be like three or four of these. You know, by the by the time they're ready to move on, they're only the one because the director and Sam Jones and Dino De Laurentiis didn't want they, they didn't want to work with him anymore. <laughs> he was he didn't even make it to the end of the shoot. All right, talk about a wasted opportunity. So yeah, so that was that was best actor, best actress, yeah, best director, best picture, and MVP left. And and worst director as well, of course. Oh, and uh, and worst picture. <laughs> and we should and have worst. at least a people player. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I oh well, there was one other person I considered for worst actor. Um, I'd love to hear it. 
and maybe this wasn't isn't quite fair, but Richard Pryor also got consideration. Yeah, I almost threw him for worst villain too. Yeah, he would have been good for worst villain. I even briefly considered him for worst moment for that joke. He did his last line, you know, where he was <laughs> joking about how like he normally flies Superman, but he's gonna take the bus. That was that was that was like the that was worse than not funny. It was. Ugh. Well, it was also bad because it was a bad joke that felt like improvised and they kind of kept like 30 seconds too much of it. Yes. Have you ever seen Superman before? I... No. Oh, you don't know about me and him? <laughs> me and Superman? Yeah, we go way back together. We always, usually, sometimes... Nine or ten miles. I think I'll walk. I don't want to. Yeah, I'll walk. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Pryor, again, good performer, and I think, you know, <laughs> obviously his legacy is secure, but unfortunately part of that legacy is being essentially the face of Superman 3. It's not great. Uh, I guess best director makes the most sense, yeah? You can go I director, agree. picture, and MVP. Yeah, it works for me. Uh, why don't you go for best director? Because I have again, I have another little bit of a curveball on this one. Okay, mine's not a curveball. Richard Donner. Yep. Look, uh, he's you know he did a phenomenal job with Superman the movie. You know he's the first big budget. If Superman the movie doesn't again, we talked about this before. If Superman the movie doesn't work. Maybe we're not talking about we're not talking about superhero movies like this. You know, I mean, it would have been it would have delayed uh, superhero movies being made for. For a while, I think, if this one flopped. Absolutely. But it didn't. And a big reason why it didn't is Richard Donner's direction. He made it grandiose. He made it mythic. He made Superman both both relatable and also not relatable, you know, kind of Greek godlike figure. Um, and and his his direction is a big part of why it feels so larger than life. You know, one of the problems with the later Superman movies, especially the um Richard Lester is his name, right? The one who Richard did Richard Lester. Yeah. Indeed. Richard Lester brought it down to a slapstick level when that's not where Superman should be. Superman should be big and bold and grandiose. And and Donner nailed that with the first go. And it's too bad he he couldn't stay on due to problems behind the scenes. But to me, he's the he's the best director. Now I'm curious who you went with, because I do think there's a couple of other options here. I don't think Donner was the only was always the only obvious choice. So for a long time, I was pretty content with giving co-awards to Richard Donner and Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, because Burton they, definitely one I considered. Yeah, because they kind of set the template a little bit for like kind of the, the two general directions you can take a superhero movie. And it's kind of still what happens today. Uh, you can go big and bold and bright and optimistic. You can kind of go more street level, a little darker, a little moodier. You know, those have both been kind of multiplied and weaponized a little bit by, you know, the MCU coming into prominence and, you know, adding a little sarcastic sheen to it. And, you know, Warner Brothers and DC and Zack Snyder, Christopher Nolan, all those guys kind of turning it into like darker and darker and darker. But they kind of, I think they kind of set the template that, their studios are still going with to this day. And I think they're both very much and very clearly their vision. This is clearly a Tim Burton movie, Batman is. And Richard Donner is, for all intents and purposes, a Superman movie. 
And again, I was looking down the list and I was like, what movie have we not gotten to mention much? Oh, I know, I know what you're going to pick now. I know who you're going to pick, but go on. Yeah. Um, so again, just to kind of make sure we know his contributions to this early part of the uh, film genre, I went with Wes Craven in Swamp Thing. Uh, it's all I, yeah. Yeah, not that I... Not that I think it's as monumental an achievement as Superman is, or even Batman is, but there's something to be said. Wes Craven kind of presents this third option now, right? Like this kind of like a adult-ish, not in like content. Like I don't, I don't remember being particularly gory or sexual, but it's it's definitely it has this midnight movie feel. I don't necessarily know that like an eight-year-old would like it the same way that they would like Batman or Superman. And you know that. Having that kind of almost like the C option to like an A and B kind of genre is really, really exciting. And, you know, I don't know that he did much else like this because, you know, a couple of years after this, he kind of solidly did become part of the slasher genre with Nightmare on Elm Street and then the more meta kind of horror with Scream and stuff like that. We never got to take a kind of like a uh, kind of like a B movie uh superhero character something hardly barely counts as a superhero to be honest he's a comic book character for sure and kind of turn it into like this kind of like this really cool kind of drive-in creature feature um i i i don't know that i liked it as much as some of the bigger players here but something i've always had this affinity for it has this kind of nice cool atmosphere to it and Wes Craven's a big part of that that's fair um, there's there was one scene from Swamp Thing that I almost considered for my best moment, which was a scene where uh, Louis Jordan, playing Anton Arcane, decides to take drink the the potion. Um, and I just remember thinking, I think I talked about it when we when we did the episode for the movie. I just remember thinking that was just a brilliantly directed scene. Um, and so I think I think that's a solid choice. Obviously, Wes Craven's a very accomplished director. He's a great director. Um, yeah, I think a solid choice. Yeah, Swamp Thing. Surprise, uh, surprised me. Tim Burton didn't get either of our votes here. Yeah, it is surprising, and I kind of feel bad about it because Tim Burton is a guy. I mean, obviously, all the jokes have been made. Um, you know, there's that famous. There's a there's a meme I once came across. It's um. Uh, just trying to decide if I want to give the caption away or the picture away. It's a picture of uh, Johnny Depp kind of cowering a little bit on a um, whatever late night show. He was, he's doing a bit, the late night show, and he's on the couch. He's kind of cowering. And the text is uh, uh, Tim Burton. Uh, what do you mean there are other actors besides uh, Johnny Depp and him <laughs> on the bottom corner? Swings around to Johnny Depp. How long have you known about this? <laughs> like, all the jokes have been made, and he's kind yeah. of fallen into a house style. It, Further, you know, fewer and fewer returns in this tumble podcaster's opinion. That's not the opinion of everybody, but I think watching Batman 1989 is a good reminder of like he. There was a big. There's a. There's a reason why he became huge. Right. <laughs> there's this monumental task in front of him that could have gone wrong any number of ways, and the fact that it pretty much still holds together even to this day is a real achievement. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is a shame that he didn't quite get the thought. But you know what? Look, he has another chance. Yeah, he's got another shot. Uh, He has a very real chance, actually. Yeah, because if my memory serves it correctly, the next season is not going to be the strongest season of superhero films. Uh, Uh. No. (laughs) (laughs) 90s was kind of this 
Awesome. I think we're going to have more. I think the bad movies are going to be a little bit more fun. To, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, stay tuned for that. Um, all we have left are the three kind of big ones, or at least two big ones, <laughs> the one you don't want to have. <laughs> so do we – I don't remember what we do here. Do we, do we go worst, best, and then MVP? Should I don't we... remember. I don't remember the order either. But let's just do that. Worst, best, MVP. Yeah, I kind of feel like we should end with the, the two positives. All right. Worst picture. Uh, do you want to go? or? Sure, I can go. Worst picture. Um, Supergirl. To me, that was the worst one. Because even like even the other bad ones, even like you know, even at Condor Man, I kind of liked some of the the chase scenes they had in there, and even even with Hero at Large, you know, John Ritter was kind of charming. It was kind of an interesting premise, even if it didn't really work. And you know, even Superman Superman Four had stuff between Clark and Lois, and Superman Three had like the weird evil Superman stuff that was kind of interesting. Like, like all the other ones, at least had something that I was, you know, I was, I, I, I thought was interesting or okay, but man, Supergirl just had nothing that I really liked about it. It couldn't decide what it wanted to be. So it, it spent a little bit of time being a lot of different things, succeeding in being none of them. You know, Faye Dunaway camping it up didn't work because her character was cardboard and she, there wasn't enough space. You know, she, she couldn't eat enough space to keep it going. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was just, it, it was just, to me, that's just the worst one. That's the one I enjoyed watching the least. Um, it was a chore to get through and it was only like an hour. It was like, what, barely two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it wasn't long. even that long of a movie. It's like and, yeah. uh, and so that, you know, that, that one, that one's the worst one for me. Well, I'll certainly say Supergirl is the most disappointing. I think I kind of went into it hoping to kind of champion it as like kind of this forgotten classic, right? Like mm -hmm. it has kind of all the hallmarks of something that like, actually, you know what? This isn't that bad. And there are moments here and there when they kind of, for all intents and purposes, recycle that, uh, that first moment from the Superman movie where he discovers he has all these powers and he flies. They, they replicate that here. It's actually pretty good effect. And there's other moments that were kind of more ham-fisted that nevertheless I think were interesting. Like I think having her kind of deal with a couple of street thugs that were kind of <laughs> uh, singling her out for her gender, shall we say, which is not a moment. You, it's not, frankly, it's not something that Superman would have to deal with. It's maybe the one threat that they would not have in common. It's interesting, but it's kind of done cornily and uh then she decides i'm gonna just go live in a dorm and be a college student for whatever reason it's not explained and the movie goes off the rails from there and uh yeah it was a shame it was a chore it's not my it's not my worst uh when i get right down to it i have to give it to superman 4 and there's okay a, there's, and there's a reason for that stuff like superman 3 and even Condor Man, I thought, were worse overall. But at least they're complete thoughts. Superman okay, 4, is, Superman 4 is literally unfinished. That's true. It is an unfinished movie. And were it completed, would it be any better? I'm not sure. We have kind of an out-of-their element director. Budget's been slashed. Um, Did we do worse director? We did, not do, we did not do Worst Director. Oh, we have, we have to circle back to Worst Director. We're going. We can do that. Uh, 
Superman 4, again, it starts off kind of okay, and you have the gang back together. You have, you got Gene back. Margot is back front and center instead of being relegated because she dared to say the studio should have treated director Donner more fairly. Um, but yeah, no, Nuclear Man is a total dud. Um, I really, really hated John Cryer in this movie. He's not a guy I hate that much. He was terrible. In, in yeah, life. he was definitely in consideration for Worst Actor. A moment, a worst moment for me. There's a moment where Nuclear Man is uh, showing off his powers, and he starts spinning John Cryer around, and it looks bad. But what's even worse is all these ADR like little like, whoa, whoa, hold on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making it sound not that bad, but I felt like I was losing my mind. No, it was was awful. It was awful. I mean, you laughed at it, and it was supposed to be funny, but you weren't laughing at it because it was funny. You were laughing at it because it was so awful. Like, you couldn't help. I couldn't believe it. um, So, yeah, no, Superman 4, it's it's not done. Uh, Put everyone in a bad mood. Like, it was was the final nail in the coffin for Christopher Reeve being a part of Superman lore, except for, like, a quick... Oh, cool. I think one. I think he appeared in one episode of Smallville as another character, of course. But um, yeah, it, it tried to bite off more than they could chew. Tried to go into like a whole nuclear disarmament storyline that really well, he probably needed more time and more thought in to do that correctly. Yeah, uh, it, it deserves its reputation as this total colossal mess. Fair. I mean, that's a fair, that's a solid choice. Supergirl is not much better, <laughs> but there's something to be said for something, Superman 4 is probably an easier... If I had to pop one in again, it would be Superman 4, for sure. Because at least there's entertainment in the mess and the chaos. Mm. Right. Supergirl is almost too competent to be any fun. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Worst director. Um, you could, I could have gone Superman 4 here, but I went... Martin Davidson in Hero at Large. It's a movie that largely sits there, and it could have been bright, and it could have been bubbly. And it's not any of those things. And I'm not yeah. even sure he had much of an eye for or a sense of humor. Um, but when you have <laughs> when you have John Ritter as like your guy, you gotta at least know how to make a movie funny. And it's it was one of the. Okay. <laughs> I, I do feel like sometimes it couldn't pick its tone, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, John Ritter gets freaking shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this moment from Kick-Ass, but like it's, it's John Ritter. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, total miss for me. But there are a couple other choices that could have gone along here, and I'm curious to know which one you picked. Well, I, I went with, and maybe it's a little unfair, but yeah, Sidney Fury, who did Superman yeah. 4. Um, you know, there, there are a couple other options here, but Superman 4 was the biggest mess, like you said, and I don't know if it's completely his fault, but at the end of the day, you know, you still have scenes like that John Cryer scene, and that's just a poorly made scene. Everything's poorly acted. It's poorly staged. The special effects was terrible. I mean, just and that and that at the end of the day falls on him. I think scenes like that, or scenes like where 
well, basically any John Cryer scene, like when he shows up with a car to rescue Lex, uh, that was poorly directed. You know what I mean? It's really um, so stupid. Uh, yeah. That scene, of course, is he shows up in a car. You know, uh, Lex Luthor is uh, you know swinging swinging a hammer in an outdoor quarry, and John Cryer pulls up in a car, and the, he shows the two guards his car. Like, do you guys want to get in? And they get in, and the car closes down on them, and they drives them off a cliff. None of it made any sense. No, they survived. Don't worry, though. Yeah, no, God, um, please. John Cryer wouldn't kill cops. Please. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, you know, other scenes like where Nuclear Man, he like, I want that woman. And like, Superman's like standing there, and Luke Nuclear Man's like wreaking havoc, but it looks terrible. And Superman's just like, okay, I'm going to stand here unless this happened. Um, I don't know. It just, it just, you know, there's a lot of reasons why Superman 4 was a bad movie. I think, I think he, Fury was ultimately one of them. Yeah. Uh, a movie be, uh, be set by problems and, um, he was one of them. Maybe not. Maybe not totally his fault, but, yeah. but might, it might be a little unfair. But, but when I thought of a, who did, who I thought did the worst job, he's what came to mind. Uh, you know, at a certain, at a certain point, I mean, is the budget his fault? No, not necessarily. But I feel like even, even the best kind of journeyman directors are able to kind of make do with what they have, and I don't think he passed that test. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, if you don't have the budget to make it look good, don't do so many flying shots. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, maybe he maybe he uh, turned his ankle. He can't fly now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'm feeling pretty down. I think we should uh, end with some some positive awards and mm-hmm. kind of go into the evening and the after parties of the uh, the famous after parties of the Blinky Awards. Of course, is uh, <laughs> take a couple melatonins and <laughs> go go to sleep. Um. Best picture. Normally the top award. Uh, not, not, not so for the Blinkies. It's only the second best award, I think. But um, what do you have for best picture? I have Batman 1989. Wow, great choice. You could do the same one. Uh, no, I pick Superman. No. But pick Superman. Okay, that's it's, fair. That's it's fair. Batman v Superman, could, not a justice. Yeah.
<laughs> you know, it could be nostalgia. I don't know. But to me, that was the best movie we watched. Uh, just bar none. Um, it had some flaws in its third act. It wasn't perfect. None of these movies were perfect. You could make an argument Batman 1966 is the best at achieving its its overall goals. But at the same time, I don't think its goals were as ambitious. So I don't, I'm not comfortable giving that one the best picture. Um, but yeah, it really does come down. There weren't that many to really choose from here. You had Superman the movie, Batman. I could see some people making arguments for Swamp Thing or Flash Gordon. I wouldn't. Uh, but ultimately, I just thought Batman 1989, that was the best one. Yeah, and look, I came close. To, Batman got strong consideration. Both Batman, to be honest. Um, there's a couple kind of not troll moves you can make, but like, you know, I could, I could be a little stinker and pick Batman 66 or Swamp Thing. Um, but at the end of the day, it came down to Batman 1989 and Superman. And I think the kind of the, the, the mythic feel of the original Superman movie uh, is it a little long in the tooth? Yeah. Is its uh, climax a little s- silly and potentially uh, dangerous? Uh, <laughs> absolutely. But I think it has such heart, Jimmy. Uh, it does. And it, it does. even the best, you know, I, I like me my MCU, but there's only like one or two movies in that franchise that really can live up to the kind of heart that, that Superman has. There's a sincerity to it. And a lot of that rides on uh, Christopher Reeve, who... Um, I also you know, came very close to giving Best Actor, and it, there's a good reason for it. It just has like this nice, cozy, comfy feel. Um, and I actually think it works out nicely that you picked Batman and I picked Superman, because I think that these really are the two at the end of the day, and we're getting to honor both of them. Yeah. And when we you talk, talk about legacies, they're two of the biggest legacies of what we're talking about, right? Yep. Uh, Superman, the movie Kickstarter things, for superhero movies, but I would argue Batman 1989 kept them going, you yeah. know, and, and, and showed, showed Hollywood how to make money off of superheroes. And that's why we're still getting so many superhero movies today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of interesting that the Batman franchise kind of picked up right as the uh, Superman franchise completely fell out of, you know, fell apart and ran out yeah. of steam. Mm-hmm. Superman 4 is 1987, Batman is 1989. Yeah, so equally as important. You could argue if Batman 1989 failed, that could have been it. Yeah, for exactly. sure. Um, yeah, look. They're the two. I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out this way. MVP. This is kind of a more nebulous, kind of harder to define thing. And really, in the past episodes, these have gone to uh, you know, composers, they've gone to actors, directors. God, I, I want to say, did one of us give it to a costume designer at one point? I think you did. I know I, I gave it to the setting and Swamp Thing, actually. Yeah, look. Yeah. So I gave it to a place. And <laughs> look, them. it can be... I think, I think, I think for Superman 4, you gave it to the costume designer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right. That sounds like something I would do, because there's not much else to be <laughs> Um. So yeah, this is kind of a, this is kind of the top prize, I think. Um, and I'm kind of excited because it can go any number of directions. There's a couple of obvious choices, and right. um, there's maybe mine, some more nebulous ones. Yeah, mine's definitely an obvious choice. Uh, uh, you know, I think mine is too. 
for me, it's really the only choice. I, I, I had trouble giving serious consideration to anyone else. Um, and that's Christopher Reeve of Superman. Um, um, would you like a glass of wine? Uh, no, no thanks. I never drink when I fly. Uh, um, mine, mine is right along the same tracks, but um, oh, okay. but different. Oh, interesting, interesting. So yeah, yeah for me, uh, he just he just embodied Superman. Like, he was a perfect casting choice. If you screwed up Superman, you screwed up that whole franchise. Of course, they still went off the rails, but to me, he he held that franchise. He was a big part of the first one being so good. He held that franchise together for the second one. I think he made the third one and fourth one almost watchable movies, despite how terrible that fourth movie was and how still bad that third movie was you know i and i think through it all he he brought a grace and dignity and and strength and charisma that superman should have and he embodied it and frankly he's still my favorite superman oh no question um you know henry cavill has the look i would give him that but he doesn't have that he just doesn't have that sincerity and that kind of boy scoutish look that uh, Christopher Reeve always had. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's so funny. They cast such a wide net for this role. And um, Christopher Reeve is almost like this afterthought. And he ended up being the guy. He's probably the, you could probably argue maybe in the top three or four like iconic superhero performances um i'm not sure who else would be on that list maybe rdj as tony stark and you know um a couple of villains you could throw in there but when you think superman you think christopher reeve so my mvp is going to go to richard donner which is kind of a, it's a kind of one a and the one b right Christopher right. Reeve and richard donner so we're we're in the same ballpark we're really close and the reason i gave it to him over reeve who i also considered pretty heavily but I look at where did the Superman franchise start falling apart? And I think it was the fallout of Superman 2. And I look at right. that and it's like, what happened there? Donner was kicked off and replaced with another director. And like, as soon as he was off the project, all this like bad juju kind of started permeating into this franchise. You know, Superman 2 is a flawed product. There's good stuff. We've mentioned some of the good. We've mentioned some of the bad tonight. Uh, you know, three and four were not good. Three got a couple of cast members relegated or they just did straight up didn't come back due to the fallout of the Richard Donner firing. And Superman 4 kind of felt like they were trying to, like, replicate that without replicating it. And I look at that, and I was, his presence was so sh- strong, and I think that the uh, his creative eye and his sense for the character and the sense of the kind of stories that he needed to tell were just so important that as soon as he was removed everything kind of went poof and it was never the same again and i think frankly just as much as without christopher reeve as superman you know the movie doesn't work without richard donner movie doesn't work either i think there's a reason why it has like this lasting legacy and again that heart kind of comes from the both of them and i think if you remove any one of them either one of them rather from that first movie we say it, we've said it a bunch of times tonight, but we're not talking about this anymore without those two. So in a way, it's fitting. That these are our two MVPs. Yeah, fair enough. Fair point. And that kind of puts an end to the yeah. uh, the blinkies yeah. again for it, another for another season. It's interesting. You you went with um how the the absence of 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 the person earned their MVP, and I kind of went with how when put in a bad situation. 
you know, they still shined and what gave them MVP. It's kind of, we kind of went opposite directions there. It's a little bit like, I hope it's like, if I, I may, I may finish this thought and realize it's not like this at all, but um, <laughs> the 2005 NBA MVP race was between uh, Steve Nash on the Phoenix Suns and Shaquille O'Neal of the Miami Heat. This, oddly enough, is not the first time you brought up this MVP race, but go on, Ray. <laughs> I'm like a broken record. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was two, two, you know, two major players on, the, on their new teams for the first year, and, like, both teams, like, just all of a sudden started winning and were playing this fast-paced or, um, you know, just winning basketball where they, there was not any winning basketball before. And there was kind of like a 1A and 1B MVP race. And what kind of pushed it over the top, both players got injured at certain points in the, uh, in the season. Steve Nash was out for like you know, six games and Shaq was out for 10 games. And without Shaq, the Miami Heat kept chugging along. And without Steve Nash, it fell apart entirely. And using both those things, you know, those things were factual, but you could also use both of those facts to kind of bolster your guy if you, if you really wanted to. So it's kind of the same thing here. Christopher Reeves, it's not really the same thing. <laughs> See, I knew this was going to happen. I was going to get to the end. I wasn't going to make this. But to me... Well, you're the editor. You can always choose to cut it if you want. <laughs> we'll see. My point being, uh, Richard Donner is sort of the Steve Nash. <laughs> His absence, it totally fell apart. Yeah. That's what that's like. No, that's fair. That's fair. And then Christopher Reeve was like Shaq because he was there is what I'm saying. Uh, I know a lot about uh, other things. Look. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, that puts a button on another round of blinkies. Uh, and that's all in the books now. Uh, typically, we'd follow up with another round of classic Doctor Who watch rewatching. Uh, season three looms large. But uh, we're actually going to be putting that on hold for the rest of the month. Because uh, as you may have noticed, we're in October now, Jimmy. Yeah, it's the most wonderful, spookiest time of the year, I should say. Yeah, it really is the most wonderfully spooky time of the year. And we figured we should take advantage of this. We got four Mondays. So we're going to be devoting the rest of this space this month to something completely different. You know, what's what's one more project on top of everything else? <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Do, should we tease it? Let's just tell them what we're doing. Yeah, let's tell them what we're doing. No need to. Yeah. Not that great of a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be doing a little tribute to the Universal Monster Collection. Let's say Universe. But I think they're just kind of called the Classic Monsters franchise. Uh, specifically, uh, we're going to be doing eight movies. The eight that have been deemed the essentials by Universal Studios themselves. Uh, I don't, do we, uh, well, uh, yeah, we I'll just say what they are. So we're going to be doing double features. Because that's how these yeah. were presented when they, when they were in theaters. You'd do you'd go to a, a double feature. There'd be a movie, an intermission, another movie, and so we're gonna adopt that format, and do double features every Monday. Yeah, so you'll get two movies a week for four weeks. Get us eight. Should mention uh, the Essentials collection is actually a list of nine movies, and uh, we'll list off which one we're not doing in a second. But the but the nine. Or of course, the original the 1931 Dracula and Frankenstein movies. There's actually a 1931 Spanish-language version that uses the same set as the 1931 Dracula movie, but with different actors and directors. And that's we the will one... not be doing that one. Yeah, yeah, that's one we're not doing just because 
It's yeah. so, you know, it's, it's a little bit more obscure, harder yeah. to find. And um, we'll, we're also doing Dracula with Bela Lugosi, and it felt a bit redundant to do both of them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so hopefully, no one's out there is too much of a fan of that, and uh, <laughs> won't be too disappointed. We also have uh, the so yeah, that's our two is the Mummy. Well, yeah. I was gonna say so that's our first double feature next week. So we get Dracula and Frankenstein double feature. Yep. So week two will be. Uh, 1932's The Mummy and 1933's The Invisible Man. That will be week two. Week three brings us 1935's Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, the one and only sequel we'll be doing uh, in the uh, this Essentials tribute. Although there'll be lots to talk about there. Uh, along with 1941's The Wolfman. So Bride of Frankenstein and The Wolfman will be double feature number three. And then finally, our final double feature we brought to you on... Halloween night, October 31st, Monday, gives us 1943's Phantom of the Opera. Very interesting choice, and maybe not one I expected to see on this list, along with 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon. And maybe, just maybe, a little ranking of all eight from the pop culture historians themselves. And in between, you know, to kind of give you uh, as much Halloween madness as possible, uh, there'll be little intermission features between each uh, each movie, we'll be doing some Halloween rankings of our own, won't we, Jimmy? Yes. I am very much look, look forward to seeing uh, where you rank certain things. Oh, yeah. yeah we, got, we got some interesting lists here. Favorite candies, favorite favorite songs. It's going to be a big Halloween celebration. We want to hear from you guys, too. Uh, yeah, uh, let us know on Instagram how you feel about these movies, if you have any memories associated with any of them, uh, as well as if you agree with our rankings or disagree. Uh, just tell us if you agree, actually. I don't want to know. I don't want to know if you disagree. No. Uh, so that's our plan for October. And then November, we'll be back with uh, Doctor Who Season 3. Classic Doctor Who Season 3. Uh, full tribute there. And that should get us to the end of the year. And beyond. All right. So, Jimmy, <laughs> thank you for another wonderful uh, Blinkies Award ceremony. And uh, I'll catch you at the movies next week. <laughs> <laughs> See you at the double feature. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right. Good night, everybody.